we could look at that warning and say, well, was it the Holy Spirit warning Paul so he wouldn't go to Jerusalem? Or was it the Holy Spirit warning Paul to let him know, here's what's coming? I tend to fall in that camp. I believe the Holy Spirit was warning Paul and saying, hey, listen, here's what's coming up. You go to Jerusalem, you're going to be arrested. But don't worry, I've got your back. And so Paul, even at his friends warning him and telling him, listen, crying, don't go to Jerusalem, because if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be arrested. And he said, I've got to go. I've got to get there. And so he goes to Jerusalem, he ends up getting arrested. Actually, he ends up getting beaten inside the temple, or he'll drug outside the temple, because, you know, you can't beat anybody in the temple, because that's wrong. But you can beat them outside, that's fine. You know, so... They're beating him to the point where even the Romans go and pull him away and say, okay, let's just see what's going on. So this caused him to get thrown in jail. He spends two years. Now, I'm going through this really fast. I'm just letting you know. Okay, you start and read Acts 21 all the way through up to now. Okay? And so he spends two years with Felix, and who's the governor of that region. So... He's in prison for two years waiting to get out. Basically, Felix is waiting for him to bribe him to let him out. So he never does. He ends up going through all this. And then Festus becomes governor. And so when Festus becomes governor, Paul appeals to Caesar. Now, Paul being a Roman citizen, once he appeals to Caesar, that says, okay, well, we can't do anything with you now. Now you have to go to Rome to see Caesar. So after everything else, now we're to the point where he starts to go to Rome. So we're going to start in Acts 27, verse 1. We've got a long reading today. Probably going to read more today than some of you read in a month. By the way, I'm Raymond. I have a tendency to offend people, so welcome. And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners. Oh, this is cool. (laughs) The only thing is you probably, I'll I'll let you sit down after this one because we're going to read the whole chapter and it's not going to be all at once. So you'll end up standing the whole time. You'll end up being like in the book of Nehemiah when Ezra began to read and they they stood from morning until midday. So if y'all want to stand for the whole service, I'm good with it. All right. They delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So entering a ship of Adramidium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. And the next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. Paul's even getting kindness from his enemies. And so... (laughs) Wow, man, there's a whole message just in that. When we had put the sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. When we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmone. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. 
Now when much time had been spent, and Satan was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Okay, you can be seated now. Like I said, I'm going to end up reading the rest of it, so you're going to be here a while if you stand up. But this is kind of where I wanted to start. Because now when much time had been spent and sailing was not dangerous because the fast, the fast was the, uh, uh, the Day of Atonement. And so that happens in late September or early October. And so it wasn't, it wasn't smart to sail after that time because the winds begin to change. You're trying to go north. The wind's blowing from the north. I don't know if you know anything about sailing, but that's probably not a good idea. You know, you, can't, you, you want to try to tend to go with the wind. Now, you can sail against the wind. I've been looking some of this stuff up. I spent five years in the Navy, so we sailed against the wind, but we had big motors and big screws to help drive us through there. We wasn't driven by the wind. And so Paul, we find out later on in Corinthians that, that Paul had already been shipwrecked a couple of times. This was not his first uh, rodeo. So Paul comes up, and it's, I, I, it's not just that experience, but the experience helps. He says, man, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Here's the key. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship by the things spoken by Paul. Now, we could stop right there and spend the rest of the day right there just teaching you and me how we need to listen to certain voices in our lives and other voices we need to just blow them off. Because I'm going to tell you, one, like I said, Paul had experience. And the experience Paul had was not only sailing, but Paul had much experience with the Holy Spirit. So when he says, I perceived, it wasn't just, well, I'm going off all my sailing trips and all this stuff. No, he perceived from the leading of the Holy Spirit that this is going to end badly. And he was warning them, unlike the warning that he got going to Jerusalem, he was warning them, we need to stop. We don't need to go anywhere. We need to stay still. You know, my wife's favorite verse is, be still and know I am God. Sometimes you need to be still. And, but the centurion, now, in Roman culture, what happened was you didn't have the Roman army and the Roman navy. The, the centurion, the guy who was over the, these hundred soldiers on land was over these hundred soldiers in the sea. So, and then it says, he was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship. The helmsman was pretty much the captain, and then the owner of the ship. So this is like a merchant vessel, right? This is a grain vessel. This is hauling grain from more than likely from Alexandria. Well, it says Alexandria from Egypt up to Rome. So this guy, he has an agenda of, I need to get this to Rome so I can make the money, right? The captain, I need to get this to Rome so he can make the money and he can pay me. The centurion... Doesn't really his his whole agenda is I need to take care of these prisoners and get them to where they need to be, get them to Rome. But Paul tells them, gives them the warning. But instead, they decide to listen to him. They he decides to listen to them. 
We can go all the way through this Bible and show you where people have made bad mistakes off bad decisions, listening to the wrong people. I mean, King Rehoboam, Solomon's son, after Solomon dies, Rehoboam takes over the kingdom. And Rehoboam, instead of, list, instead of listening to the men who advised his dad on running the kingdom, Solomon was the wisest man ever to live up until Jesus. Okay? And he was wise enough that he still had advisors. And so Rehoboam, his son, instead of listening to these men who've been advising his dad and running the kingdom and had experience running the kingdom, he goes to his buddies and says, Hey, these guys tell me I need to do this. What do you guys say? And his buddies tell him, Well, this is what you need to do. What happens? It divides a kingdom. He ends up with Judah, and then the rest of Israel goes a different way. Right? All because he wanted to listen to the wrong people. Who you listen to matters. If you listen to God, they can't look. Our kids are in here. And I guarantee you, every parent here can tell you the same thing, that if your teenagers come up to you and say, listen, I want to do this, and you say, no, you don't need to do this. Well, I've talked to all my kids in my class, and they all agree with me. I don't care that everybody in your class is wrong. You know, it doesn't matter. Because we all have to realize that there are people put in your life. Because there are some people just going to agree with you just because they want to see you go downhill. You've got to listen to people. One, they're seeking after godly counsel. They're seeking after God. But that they love you. And they have your best interest at heart, whether you think so or not. And so, the centurion makes the mistake of listening to these guys. Okay? So verse 12, And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete opening toward the southwest and northwest and winter there. Now, from where they were to where they wanted to get to, was only like 45 miles by sea. Okay, you can, even with a sailing ship, you can make that in a day, right? So everybody's thinking this is not a bad idea. I mean, this, is, this harbor's okay to winter in because everyone had to spend the winter there. This harbor's okay to winter in, but this one over here, this one's great to winter in, right? And so you got everybody agreeing and one guy saying this is a bad idea. So... When the south wind blew softly, verse 13, supposing they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. You've got to watch out thinking, oh, well, God's opened this door. Maybe not. Maybe sometimes it's just God allows us to get tempted. And sometimes he wants to know. Some of the, for me, personally, the worst temptation, I've got to take this thing off. It's killing me. So... For me, a lot of times the worst temptations are the ones where I've got a good decision and a good decision. So which way do I go? And, I, you know, and, and, and the thing is, if you don't know, stay still. If you don't know, don't go, like Brad just said. But not long after, not long after a tempestuous headwind arose called Eurocladon, or a northeaster. Okay, now from where they were, 
they were trying to head east and north, right? Or, or west and north. So they get a, a south wind and they think, hey, we got our way to go. You know, we're just going to head on over here and we'll, we'll get there by tomorrow and we can hang out and everything's going to be fine. But really what happens is as soon as they cut out, they have a north, uh, I think over here, like up in New England, they call it a nor'easter. It's a wind that comes out of the northeast blowing you down, and it blows you south. So <clears throat> when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. What that's saying is we couldn't go the way we wanted to go, so we just had to let her eat. We just had to go with the flow. Now, you got to remember, like I said, I spent five years in the Navy. I spent three and a half years on a ship that was 565 feet long and 55 feet wide. This thing was made out of steel. It was welded together. We've been through some stuff. We went through some. We could take some rough seas. That was actually one time we went through between two typhoons. You don't talk about a rough ride for a while. And so these guys are on a wooden ship. Okay, I don't know if you know this or not, but there's not too many five. Uh, this, this ship was believed to be, I, th I think it was right around 500 feet long. So this was a big grain ship. There's not any 500-foot trees. So this thing's put together in pieces by wood. God help them. So when the ship was caught and could not head, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. Now the skiff, what that was, is that's like a, that's a, basically a little rowboat you pull behind the ship. And what that's for is so you can go around. We had them when I was in the Navy. We had a small boat, called it a rib, rubber hull inflatable boat. Anyway, that thing, they use it a lot to like go around, inspect the ship, see if there's anything wrong. So you need that skiff. Right? It, it's also, it's, it's a lifeboat. You, you know, that thing is definitely, you need it. So <clears throat> that's why they pulled it in. They usually would drag it along behind them as long as you're in smooth seas. So the reason they pulled it in is because they had to get their safety net up to make sure they didn't lose it. This is important because it comes up later. So verse 17, when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship. And fearing lest they should run aground on the surtis sounds, they struck sail and so were driven. They took these cables. They, they were in such rough seas that they took ropes and ran them underneath the ship to tie everything together to make sure it doesn't break apart, right? And so they, in doing that, they were fearing lest they should run aground on the surtis sands. Now the surtis sands are like shallow sand or, or sand dunes underneath the water on the north end of Africa. And these, they're really shallow. And so what would happen a lot of times is ships would get too close and they would get run aground there. And as they run aground, what happens is they're, it's, deep, it's shallow enough that you could run a ship aground, but not deep enough that you could, or shallow enough that you could walk across it, you know? And so you end up getting stuck there. You can't get out. Sometimes this is what we need to do. We may not know where we're going, but I know where I don't want to go. I'm going to tell you something. I don't know where God's got me going, but I can tell you where I don't want to go back to. I can tell you where I don't need to be. And we need to know a lot of times where we need to avoid more than we need to know where we're going. In verse 18, 
And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. They started throwing stuff off the ship. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. The tackle is what they used to sail the ship. This is what you use to control the direction you're going. So they done gave up to the point where it's like, you know what? I don't know where we're going. I don't know what we're doing. I'm going to quit trying to control the direction I'm heading, and I'm just going to get rid of it. How much stuff do we need to throw out of our lives that we're trying to use to control the direction we're headed when God's saying, you need to go this way, and we keep trying to steer it this way? This is fun because I don't know where we're heading. I don't have any notes. All I've got is this. Because I'm going to tell you, when I, Brad asked me to preach, and I said, okay, I'll I, I tell you what, I, I know what I'm doing. I know the, the passage I'm going to use. I said, but I'm not bringing any notes. And he's like, well, you're going to use an outline? Hey, no. Well, is that what you want to do? No. <laughs> because I... If I got an outline, I'm good. I can come back and I can get back to where I need to be. But God said, I need you to trust me. You know, I need, I need a John 3.30. You know, he must increase, but I must decrease. You know, I need him to move me out of the way and him speak through me and him come out. Because you don't want Raymond coming out. Because God, he will offend us in love. Raymond will offend you just to offend you. I'm just, hey, I'm just being honest. Here I am. Verse 19, we throw this. Okay, we'd already done that one. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Verse 20, now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. They had no idea where they were. They're in the middle of a storm, in the middle of a sea. If you've never been in the middle of a sea where you don't see any land anywhere, been in the middle of a storm. I've been in the middle of storms. Like I said, I spent three and a half years on that ship. That worst one was the one when we went between those two typhoons. There were people in their racks for over a week. People who had been in the Navy for 15 years sick in their rack because we were being tossed so bad. The ship I was on, it drafted 35 feet, which means that's how much of the ship was underneath the water. That was to the bottom of the sonar dome. Now, the sonar dome's on the front of the ship, and it's this big round thing. Have you ever dropped a ball from above the water and let it hit and watch it just kind of do this? We were in such rough seas that when we would come up sometimes, you can tell. If you're just coming up and the sonar dome's still under the water, it's going to hit but when it comes out of the water this is 35 feet when it comes out of the water and it hits the whole ship not only hits but it shakes side to side and that's those times you can be walking down a passageway and just whoo we come out of that one and so I know what it's like to go through some storms and you so and we were scared then I can't imagine what these guys were thinking because, I mean, they're in a wooden ship that, that, that's liable to just be... There's no telling how many ships they're floating over the top of who have sank in storms like this. And so they have no idea where they're going. See, we have GPS nowadays. They didn't. 
they navigated by the sun and the stars. So when you haven't seen the sun or the stars for a long time, you have no idea where you are. You don't have a clue where you are. You just know you're out in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the ocean somewhere. How many of you have ever felt like that? I don't know where I am. I just know I'm in the middle of a storm, and Lord, I, just as long as you're with me, I know I'm good. As long as I still got something underneath me, I know I'm still good. And I need God to be with me and to carry me through this and to know that. Verse 21, but after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of the... It wasn't for, I don't think, a lack of food. Paul was fasting. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, I love this verse. Because it, it contradicts what we get taught today, right? What do we say? Don't tell anybody I told you so. You don't tell your kids I told you so, right? Because then that's going to hurt them. What does Paul say here? Let's say, men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster. What did he say? I told you if you had listened to me, we wouldn't be in the mess we're in right now, right? right. But the thing is, at the same time, he didn't keep driving it home. He didn't beat them over the head with it and say, hey, listen, I told you, and then come back 15 minutes later, if you'd listen to me, if you'd listen to me. No, what he says, okay, if you'd listen to me the first time, we wouldn't be in this mess. But now, verse 22, and now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. In other words, okay, before... I perceived that we all were going to die. Now, I have a clearer picture that God has shown me. Listen, we all, we're still going to lose this thing. We're all going to end up wet, but we're all going to live. Everything's going to be all right. Okay? So, don't just tell your kids, don't just tell your, your spouse, I told you so. Listen, if you should have you listened to me, but now, here's my advice. Listen to me now. Right? Verse 23, For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. He declared right off the bat, Listen, it's not by my own power. It's only by the Spirit of the living God. It's God who's leading me. It's God who's giving me these directions. It's God who's giving me this strength. Saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sell with you. God has granted you all those who sell with you. Who you're in the boat with matters. You need to watch out who you decide to bring along with you. You know, when the Bible says, Be ye not yoked with unbelievers. You know, I heard a preacher, he said, he said one time, he said, That's not talking about when you get married, you just make sure they go to the same church you go to. He said, no, what you do is when you're yoked with somebody, right? If I'm in a yoke and Brad's in a yoke, where I go, he goes. He said, what you do is you run as hard after God as you can, and when you look over and whoever stands beside you, that's the one you go with. You don't sit there and look at the one who's dragging you back, who's holding you down. You go with the one who's yoked with you. You go with the one on your ship who's going to be chasing after God the one who's listening to his voice and not listening to the voices of everyone else around you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe, God, that it will be just as it was told me. However, 
However, it's going to be good and we're going to make it. However, we must run aground on a certain island. We're going to crash. It's not going to work out good. Don't you know the captain and the the owner of the ship weren't very happy with that? Because if he don't have a ship, he don't deliver the cargo. He don't deliver the cargo, he don't get paid. Not only does he not get paid, he loses everything he has tied up in that ship. Right? So you know, he, it, it wasn't good news for everybody. Now when the 14th night had come, they had been in this thing for two weeks. Two weeks in a storm. That storm we were in, I was telling you about, it was well over a week. And I'm going to tell you, it's rough. I mean, it, it was, when you go through a storm like that, this is the U.S. Navy, okay? And, and if there's one thing sailors are known for, it's knowing how to paint, right? Because salt water is rough on these ships. Salt water is rough on metal. So you've got to, you know, you paint it. I'm going to tell you something. When you're in storms like this, you don't care how you look. You just want to make sure everything's functioning right, okay? Because we had that thing, and all it was was, look, you, you do what's absolutely necessary to make sure we can keep running. You do what's absolutely necessary to make... I was on a guided missile cruiser. You make sure you got everything running that will keep us moving forward and anything that we need to defend ourselves. That's what we need. I'm not worried about if we're being pretty or not. And that's the problem with the church we have today is we got too many people who want to come in here with a nice little mask and make sure they look good, but they're functioning poorly. You need to make sure you're functioning right and don't worry about how you look. Told you it was going to be fun. Now when the 14th night had come and we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. And they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little farther, they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. So they saw that it's starting to get shallower, which means you're heading, more than likely, you're heading toward land, right? So these sailors, they... The sailors sensed it. See, they had the natural ability, and they had the experience to understand, hey, we're coming up on something, and and we need to watch out, because if not, we're going to crash. And so, verse 29, Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. Lord, help me so I can see. They threw those four anchors out, from the back. They knew the, the direction they were headed. They knew they were heading into some kind of, some type of land because they could probably hear the breakers. And so they took and they threw four anchors off the back because it's keeping them pointed in the right direction. But sometimes that's what we need to do. I need to stay pointed in the right direction, but I got to stay still. I need something to hold me down. I need something to anchor me to where I need to be. And so... Verse 30, and as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship when they had let down the skiff into the sea under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, that's, that's from the front of the ship, from the bow, for all you landlubbers. Verse 31, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Remember what I told you about the skiff? They use it as a lifeboat. These guys 
we're saying to heck with all y'all, we're jumping in the lifeboat, we're going to see, we're going to land ourselves. Paul said, unless these stay in the ship, we're all going to die. And so they, verse 32, then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. Sometimes the thing, the thing you think is going to save you, you've got to cut it and let it go. Because you've got to make sure that you're listening like Paul to the voice of God versus the voice of reason. Right? How many times do we hear, well, God's given us common sense. There's nothing God has ever given that is common. Ever. God's also given us the witness of the Holy Spirit. And if you belong to Him, and we shut up and listen to Him, He will lead us and He will save us. The problem is we're too busy trying to save ourselves instead of just letting Him save us and letting Him do what He needs to do in our lives. Verse 33, And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival. Says not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. In other words, you're going to need your strength. We're about to do something bad, and we're, but you're going to need your strength. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. In the presence of them all. How many of you sit in a restaurant like this? Amen. And how many of you actually say, Lord, thank you for this food. Speak it loud enough. Not, not to be arrogant, not to be prideful, not to be boastful. And You know, you ain't got to raise your hands and start a sermon right in the middle of the restaurant. But don't sit there and be quiet either. Especially in these days, people need to know where you stand. I'm going to tell you something. When you stand for what you really believe, you don't lose friends. You just find out who the real ones are. I have found that out the hard way. And when he had said these things, he took bread, gave thanks to God in the presence of them all, and when he had broken it, began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and also took food. Paul was the first one to eat. And then the rest of them followed him. It's like they said, hey, this guy knows what's going on. Let's wait and see what he does. And then follow him. Oh, that's going to come in later. Thank you, Lord. And in all, we were 276 persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw the wheat into the sea. Man, don't you know that made that owner happy. All his cargo chunked it overboard. He was probably, if I had to guess, and, and, and I'm making presumptions here because the Bible doesn't say it, but if I had to guess, he was probably helping them. Because there comes a time in your life you realize which is more important. My life or the way I'm living it. When it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed the bay with the beach on which they planned to run the ship if possible. Okay, the Lord, this is the direction I'm going. I see there's something that looks safe right there, Lord, so help me. I'm, I'm going to try to go that way. They let go the anchors and left them in the sea. Meanwhile, loosing the rudder ropes, they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. Man, you could preach a whole sermon out of that one. 
let go the anchors. They cut everything loose that was holding them back. They got rid of everything that was holding them back. Left them in the sea. How many friends, you know how many friends I've had to walk away from when I gave my life to Christ? You know how many people I had to leave behind? Not because I wasn't trying to take them with me, but I wasn't going to let them drag me down either. They hoisted, loosing the rudder rope. The rudder ropes are what steered the ship. They loosed the rudder ropes. They said, you know what? They, look, they loosed the rudder ropes. They hoisted the mainsail. The mainsail was one, the thing that caught the wind. What's another word? In, in, in the Bible, in the Greek, what's the word for wind? Pneuma. You know what pneuma is? Spirit. They hoisted the mainsail. They picked up their sail. They threw the, the. They gave up trying to drive it and steer it themselves. And they hoisted up their sail. And they said, "Holy Spirit, wherever you lead me, wherever you drive me, that's where I'm going, and that's the way I'm going to head." But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable, but the stern was being broken up by the violence of the wave. They were heading into sea, into shore, and they got grounded. The bow of the ship stuck fast. The back of the ship is being pounded and broken up. Like I said, that thing, it was, it was made out of wood. There's only so much it can handle. I don't know if you've ever been to the beach, and had some big waves come in. When I was in the Navy, we, uh, I was stationed in Virginia Beach, and we had a hurricane coming offshore. So we decided to go surfing. And so when a wave hits, when it's breaking, it's... Bruce Lee had a saying, be like water. Water's formless. Water's soft to a point. Have you ever taken a smacked water? Have you, how many people have done a belly buster off a high dive and thought, man, that's not soft. Water's not near as soft as people say it is. Water can destroy things. You know, we could go into the Grand Canyon, but I'm not even going to go that direction. I'm going to leave that alone because I just, anyway, I'm going to leave, yeah, I'm going to leave that one alone. But water can destroy things. So this water is, the breakers are pounding, it's breaking up the ship. Verse 42, and the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners lest any of them should swim away and escape. They're concerned for their own lives because if they lose prisoners, what happens? They die. So it's better for me to kill him than me to die, Right? How many of us in the church are that same way? It's better for me to kill him than for me to go down. Right? It's better for me to look out for number one than it is to watch out for them. You know, forget that whole love thy neighbor as thyself thing. I mean, I'm sure Jesus wasn't really serious about that thing. You know, he was just kidding. Right? But the centurion wanting to save Paul. Remember what I said? It matters who you run with. All these prisoners were saved, kept them from their purpose, and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. They made it to land simply because of who Paul was. 
because of the relationship Paul had with Jesus, that was the only way they all made it on board. Because if not, he would have killed all those prisoners. But it was because they were wanting to save one man. You had to want to save one man who was following after God. And I've made it all that way to get here. Chapter 28. Now when they had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness. Sorry. For they kindled a fire and made us all welcome. And because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold... But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. Contrast that when he went to Lystra. He goes to Lystra, he heals a man. God heals a man through Paul. Let me straighten that out. Well, they start calling Paul a god, right? And so he goes from being a god, then the Jews come up. He, they, he goes from being worshipped to being stoned, right? Here, let's look at this. Now they say, okay, he's been through a shipwreck. He, he survives a shipwreck. He comes up. He's helping them build the fire that they have, and a viper comes out and latches on his hand. And they say, surely this man's a murderer because look at what just happened to him. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. He goes from being a murderer to being a god. He goes from being a god to being stoned. I don't know if you know this or not, but they didn't stone you just as a punishment. That was to kill you. Okay, so that's, if you read that story, you see that they drug him out and the disciples gathered around him and he raised up from the dead. It doesn't exactly say that, but that's what happened. He raised up because these people were adept at stoning. So they knew when you were dead. But I want to get here. I want to look back at this. What happened was the viper came out and latched on Paul. When's the first time we see a serpent in Scripture? Anybody know? Genesis 3, right? The Bible says the serpent was more cunning, more crafty, more subtle. One, one translation, more deceitful than any other creature, right? <clears throat> and so I was reading this, and I was thinking, okay, Sin had come out and grabbed a hold of Paul. And then I get to reading Genesis. It wasn't sin. It was temptation to sin. The creature didn't cause Adam and Eve to sin. The serpent tempted them to sin. Actually, he tempted Eve. It goes back to that whole thing of who you're going to listen to. And so... My question is, when the tempter comes, when that serpent comes up and he bites you, what's, how are you going to react when you get bitten? Because every one of us gets bitten. Every one of us, at some point in time, gets bitten. I've I, I got to go here. i got to do it. 
1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, and this verse is, is misconstrued so many times. This, this is the one where you hear people say, well, God won't put on you more than you can bear. Oh, yes, He absolutely will. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Oh, and here we go. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you were able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may, able, may be able to bear it. Listen, in the book of Numbers, chapter 21, the Israelites had just come off a great battle. They won, they, they beat the Canaanites. They, they called the place Hormah, which means utter destruction. They utterly destroyed the Canaanites. They come off this great and mighty battle and destroy this whole region of people. And then they start to complain against God and against Moses. And when you read that, God sent the fiery serpents to bite them. Satan did not send the fiery serpents to bite them. God sent the fiery serpents. The Bible says it. You don't like it? Read this. I didn't say it. It did. The Bible says God sent the fiery serpents to bite them. And so what happens? The people start complaining, or, or, or the people go to Moses and say, Lord, will you please pray? The guy who they were complaining about, now they're asking, will you please pray and help us because I'm tired of getting bitten and people are dying. Because people are getting, the poison is destroying lives. The poison of the temptation is destroying lives. People can't handle the poison and it's destroying their lives. And so God tells Moses, he says, I want you to take and make a bronze serpent and put it up on the pole and lift it up. And when they look at the serpent, they will not die. God didn't say when they look at the serpent, they're not going to get bitten anymore. He just says when they get bitten, they're not going to die. It's not going to kill you. So we're still going to get bitten, but you're just not going to die. So what happens? How do we... How do we act, react when we get bitten? Because look, here's the thing. Listen, these people, they're looking at Paul. And it says they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. These people had seen people bitten by this snake and they knew you're either going to swell up or you're going to die. Something's going to happen. What happens to us most of the time when we get tempted? What happens to us when somebody says something we don't like? If they offend us, we swell up, right? Right? We swell up. So people are going to say, when you get bitten, how are you going to react? What are you going to do? Are you going to swell up or are you going to look up? Why? Because John 3, John 3, 14, Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Our job when we get bitten is to look up to Christ. We look to Him. That's how you survive being bitten. That's how you survive getting over this thing. That's how you survive all this temptation that's around us. Is because we look to Christ. Paul shook the creature off into the fire. We're going to get bitten a lot of times, just like with Paul. What happened is when he started getting near the heat. When things start to get hot, you're going to get bitten. When you start walking toward the Holy Spirit, watch the fire. John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water, but there comes one mightier than I after me whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. 
We are to shake it off in God. We are to shake it off in the Holy Spirit. Shake it off into Christ. We look unto Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the one who straightens us out. He is the one who stops us from dying. He's the one who keeps us from swelling up. It's all about Christ. How, how do we react in this time right now? What do we do? Do we run and go gossip to everybody else? Do we run and go tell everybody else our problems? Or do we just give it to God? Do we just shake it off into the fire? You know, he played a song last week called Through the Fire by the Crab Family. He never promised that the cross would not get heavy or the hill would not be hard to climb. But it's through the fire is where he purges us. It's through the fire that he cleanses us. It's through the fire that he shakes off the the dross and and the the pure gold comes out of us. It is only through the fire, and only through the fire of God. It's not through the fire of your anger. It's not through the fire of your self-pity. It's not through the fire of your pride. It's only through Him and through humility. Father, thank You for everything You've given us, Lord. Thank you for being with us, Lord. Thank you for leading us and guiding us, Father. I pray that you would give us all ears to hear and eyes to see what you would tell us and what you would show us, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would go out of here better than when we came in. Father, I pray that you would speak to every life here. I pray, Lord, that you would speak into all of our hearts, into all of our spirits, Lord, and help us, Lord, to grow in you and who you are. Lord, let us be led by you in every step of our lives to glorify you, Lord. Let our lives be that we would glorify you, Lord. Let our light, that our lights would so shine before men that they would see your good works and glorify you, Lord. More of you and less of me. Father, we give you the praise and the honor in Jesus' name. My altar call is if you got something you need to shake off, you need to come up here. This is, the fire of God is ready to meet you and shake this stuff off of you. So if you got something you need to shake off, come on up.